Hi, this is Pastor Matt, and I want to welcome you to our Blue Oaks Church podcast. At the end of this episode, feel free to download our Blue Oaks Church app, where you'll be able to access resources, events, and ways to get connected at Blue Oaks and in the community. The app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around Blue Oaks. Most importantly, though, I just hope that you enjoy this episode and it inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Hello, Blue Oaks. My name is Craig. In August of this year, I was hired to be the student pastor here. I get to hang out with our middle school and high school students. It's the best. I know Lisa Harrington always says she has the best job, but clearly she's never had mine. You know, if you see me at church, please come up and introduce yourself. I'm bad with names, so maybe introduce yourself a couple of times. You know, this video is being posted on December 26th. I don't know what your day after Christmas is like. Hopefully it's a day of relaxation. We've decided to have church today be a virtual service so that you can find a bit of this rest with your family. I wonder if I would have had time to watch this when I was growing up. Every year as a kid on December 26th was a busy, busy day. You see, my mom would always pack up every single Christmas decoration. The day after Christmas, it all came down. You see, my brother's birthday is December 29th, so my parents wanted the decorations to be special to his birthday. There was none of this, this is your Christmas slash birthday present. Christmas was over on the 26th. Thanks a lot, Jeffrey. With the closing of Christmas and the start of New Year's just around the corner, It's time for all those top 10 lists to be posted, the top 10 moments of 2021, the top 10 songs of the year, the biggest news stories, and so on and so on. This last week of the year is a lot of looking back, but also a lot of looking ahead. New Year's resolutions. What changes do you wanna see in your life? And how long will these resolutions last? I'm considering a resolution of doing 100 push-ups a day. You know, you can ask me at church on January 2nd if I've given up on that resolution yet. Spoiler alert, I probably will have. Something old, coming to an end, and the promise of something new. That's what this message is about. The scripture today is a very, very famous story. It's a story about the first miracle of Jesus. And since this is my first time getting to teach here, I figured what better place to start than his first miracle? This is out of John chapter two. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus's mother was there and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus's mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water out, knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you've saved the best until now. 
What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. I have to be honest, when I was new to my faith, I used to be very underwhelmed by this story. Really? (laughs) This is his first miracle? I guess that just goes to show you how amazing Jesus is because he does the unexpected. Because I know that if I was God and I was about to start my earthly ministry and I just called my first disciples and I wanted to show them who I was, I might just go for something a little more grand. Imagine if all the disciples created a betting pool as to what they thought Jesus' first miracle would be. And they'd have to be like, okay, who had Jesus transforming 180 gallons of water into wine out of old stone jars? (laughs) Nobody? Nobody? (laughs) All right, moving on to the next bet. Who's going to be the greatest disciple? Place your bets. Growing up dreaming about the Messiah coming, how big did they make him out to be? When the Messiah comes, he's going to destroy the Romans. He's going to be eight feet tall. (laughs) They may have expected the Messiah to say, hey guys, you see that mountain? Watch this. And then it's over there. (laughs) Instead, he goes for something far more subtle. Instead, he's at a wedding feast in his hometown. (laughs) John makes sure that we know that it was on the third day. And there is some debate here as to what the third day means. Was it the third day of the week? Was it the third day of his ministry? Was it the third day of the year? Was it the third day of the wedding? It's kind of unclear. How do you read this? What makes the most sense to you? For me, I believe that it was the third day of the week, our Tuesday, because most weddings at that time happened on a Tuesday. Seems kind of strange to us. Why a Tuesday? Because in the creation story in Genesis 1, the third day was the only day that got a double blessing. What I mean by that is this, it is the only day of creation that God said it was good twice. So the thought was, what better day to start off a life together than one with a double blessing? So put yourself into the story. We are all here at this wedding. The whole town would have been there, Mary, Jesus, and his disciples. It was a party dancing, food, wine, celebrating a new life together. In the middle of this party, Mary comes up to Jesus and says, they have no more wine. You may already know that this was a huge deal for the family. It would have been a shameful thing to run out of wine. We probably don't fully grasp the hugeness of this problem because we don't really live in a shame, honor culture, but this family ran the risk of being shamed for years. The role of Mary in this story is one of the most interesting to me. Coming out of Christmas, you may have noticed that a lot of the Christmas narrative revolves around her courage to say yes to God and bear the burden of raising the Messiah. This was no easy task. This surrender must have cost her in so many ways, physically, financially, emotionally, but I'd argue that it probably cost her most socially. This wedding was in her hometown. These were her people. Now put yourself in the shoes of one of these people from Cana. And for about 30 years, you've heard this story of a girl from your town who got pregnant when she was a teenager. 
yet she claimed that she was a virgin. She claimed that God is the father, and maybe she told you about the angel telling her that he was going to be the Messiah. If you heard any of this, you'd probably be like me and thought, sure, oh, bless your heart. Of course that makes sense. Can you imagine the things they said about her and Jesus? Talk about scandalous. Talk about shame and dishonor. You know, we don't really know a lot about Jesus as a kid, but now we see him as an adult. This must have been an exciting moment for Mary. He was out calling his disciples. He was starting his ministry. All those years of difficulty must have been leading up to this moment for her. Finally, vindication. Would you have been able to contain your excitement if you were Mary? So Mary coming up to Jesus and saying, you know, they have no more wine, wink, wink. I can see you have some disciples, wink, wink. (laughs) Maybe now is a good time to show everyone that made fun of us who you are. Woman, why do you involve me? You see, Jesus interrupts her as if Jesus knew what Mary was thinking, what she was about to ask or subliminally asking. Why do you involve me in your agenda? That's how I read it. It is important to know that the word woman here was not used as a demeaning word. He's not saying it like a misogynistic man saying, woman, this is not something Jesus would have ever said to Mary. But it's not a good term. It's stern. You may know all too well when someone says your name in a stern way. It's like a, oh, this is different. Jesus says, my hour has not yet come. So what does that mean? My hour became a phrase that Jesus said throughout his ministry, and it was always referring to his death. Jesus came to die. That is what is so beautiful and tragic about the Christmas story, that he came as a helpless baby and his purpose was to die. Jesus knew this purpose. He knew that this was his path. I wonder if at this moment in a wedding filled with empty cups, that Jesus knew that one day he'd be asking God, if at all possible, to have a full cup pass from him. My hour has not yet come. It is though Jesus is looking past the wedding festivities, looking past the shame and embarrassment of not having enough wine, looking past the physical and social needs to the greatest spiritual need that they had. The restoration that could only happen through his death. Mary was focused on the empty wine bottles and Jesus was focused on the empty tomb. Jesus knew what he came to do. Whatever he said to Mary, whatever look was on his face, I believe it caused her to have a change of heart in what she was asking for, because you see a total surrender after this and an encouragement to the other servants to do whatever he tells you. This is the moment where I want my life to be lived, a life of total surrender to what Jesus would have for me. The text tells us that nearby stood six stone water jars the kind used for ceremonial washing. I love how John says they were nearby. They weren't there, but they were close. They were nearby, but kind of out of sight, out of mind. Why? Think about what these jars represented. Sure, they were used for the ceremonial washing. When you would use them, you were clean. 
But this process in and of itself must have been brutal. Imagine having to deal with the fact that you were maybe unclean all the time. And the fear and shame that went along with that, never really knowing where you stand with God, how would you feel about these jars? You know, it kind of reminds me of the hand sanitizer stations. Bear with me, it'll make sense. I remember back when COVID started in 1998. At least that's how long it feels like it's been going on. How often did you sanitize your hands? How often did you wash? How long did you wash? What kind of soap did you use? All these new rituals became part of our lives. Why? Fear. Everything you touched potentially had COVID on it. Were you ever clean enough? Were you ever confident that you were safe? Probably not. You touched a doorknob? Well, don't touch your face because then your face would become unclean and everything else you touched after that would become unclean. Everything needed to be sanitized. So how did you feel when you saw a sanitizer station? Maybe a little bit like, oh good, (laughs) like uh, I may as well, just in case I touch something with COVID on it. It was something unknown, something unseen, a fear. I imagine that is how they must have seen these jars, except multiplied by a thousand. All the laws in the Old Testament, maybe you broke one. Maybe you had a bad thought. Maybe fill in the blank of all the possible ways you could have been unclean. And your eternity and relationship of God was dependent on your perfection. Hindsight, we see that nobody could be perfect. So God instituted a sacrificial system What I mean by that is you sinned, you'd sacrifice an animal, and it was a lot. (laughs) And on top of that, there are all these rituals you could perform to wash and cleanse yourself. But like a New Year's resolution, how long did that cleansing last? I don't know if I sinned, but just in case, I better go wash again. I might be okay, but just in case, I I better go wash. (laughs) That turmoil of not knowing where you stand with God, it had to be soul-crushing. In these washing bins must have been a representation of that sacrificial system, that fear, that worrying, am I enough? So why would you put these in a place of celebration? You wouldn't want to remind your guests that they needed to be cleansed. This was a party. This was a celebration, not a time for something somber. Here is the brilliance of what Jesus was about to do. It is through this old system where he was announcing something new. He was about to transform this water of shame and uncertainty into wine of joy and assurance. In this culture, they didn't have a whole section of a store devoted to purified water. Water wasn't always the best and safest to drink. They didn't have the kind of filters and purification systems that we have today. But wine, on the other hand, could have been enjoyed without fear. So wine became synonymous with joy because you could drink it and not worry about getting sick. When you shared a glass of wine with someone, you were inviting them to drink free of fear. You were inviting them into sharing your joy. And when you drank someone else's wine, you were supposed to feel joy with them. Jesus tells the servants, go to those jars that were nearby, fill them up with water. Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. You heard this story. He was blown away by the taste. 
astonished that usually people wait until the guests have had too much to drink and then bring the cheap stuff out. That declaration of the master of the banquet is an invitation to us. You gotta try this. <laughs> you see, Jesus knows what's good. Jesus knows what will satisfy you. Jesus came to fill what was empty. And when I say fill, I mean fill. It's easy to read this story and not think about the amount of wine that Jesus just made. I did some math, six jars, each jar between 20 and 30 gallons. That's between 120 and 180 gallons of wine like that. Jesus instantly made the equivalent of 600 to 900 bottles of wine. So what does that look like visually? For those of you who shop at Costco, next time you walk past a pallet of wine up to your eyes, <laughs> that's one and a half of those pallets like that. I believe the sheer volume of wine must say something. Out of the old comes an abundance of new. Too much wine. I was trying to see how many people lived in Cana at this time, and it is estimated that 400 people lived there, according to some archaeologists. Well, I called a wedding planner about how much wine you would need for this wedding. She told me that 900 bottles of wine would have been enough for 3,000 people for a two-day wedding, not counting all the wine that they'd had before it even ran out. But as if Jesus is saying, what I'm offering you is so good. Taste and see, and you will find that as you taste, you will only want more. And guess what? There's enough. There's more. <laughs> and when you participate in the joy that I'm offering you, you won't be able to remain the same. It will change you. And maybe you will experience this joy, and you will be like the disciples in verse 11. Verse 11 says that this is the first sign through which Jesus revealed his glory, and the disciples believed they believed. Don't you want to believe too? It is interesting to point out that his ministry begins and ends with a wedding feast, but it would come at a great cost to him. This new thing he was about to do would cost him everything. Taste and see. It is easy sometimes to lose this joy. Sometimes the old system creeps back in where our experience of God becomes a burden or a ritual. I mean, we all have a story. We all know what it's like. We've all been burnt by our endless pursuits of perfection. If I could just do this, if I could just be more, if I could just be enough, then I'll be okay. Maybe you're out there carrying a hand sanitizer station wherever you go, constantly trying to make yourself enough. Jesus comes in and shatters that idea. He's offering you a life free of the burden of being perfect. Maybe like this story, we've put God nearby, out of sight, out of mind. Like we didn't abandon our faith, but it's still nearby if we want it. It's still important, but it's just nearby. Full confession, I'm so thankful for the ability to watch church online. But during the pandemic, it felt like my faith was nearby. I could tune in. Uh, even when churches opened back up, I was hesitant to go because it was just easier to stay home in my pajamas. Then the first Sunday visiting church in person since March of 2020, it honestly felt like I walked into a room 
and Jesus dropped off 180 gallons of joy. He's offering too much for me. It was as if I needed the whole community to help me with it. To sing in a community, to be welcomed with a smile and a hug, to be in community, it honestly felt like God filled up my empty jars again in a way that I couldn't begin to describe. I don't know what your faith experience during the pandemic has been. Maybe, like me, you long to come back in person and find community again. Well, consider this your wedding invitation. Come experience the wedding party and experience this new thing that Jesus is offering together. And maybe, just maybe, like those first disciples, you too will be filled with belief. Okay, let's wrap this up. What does this story mean for you and for me? Think about how this miracle happened. What grand spectacle was there? Nothing. It was nothing that everyone hasn't done a hundred times. Mary pointed out a need and asked Jesus for help. What if we too had the audacity to ask Jesus for big things? The servants, they filled the jars with water, an ordinary task. How many times did they draw water out for their own ceremonial washing? What if we did the ordinary? Then the servants took the water to the master of ceremonies. <laughs> Mary asked, the servants served, Jesus stepped in to do the supernatural. Sometimes we as Christians find ourselves waiting for the supernatural before we truly believe. This first miracle tells us that it's out of the ordinary that Jesus does the extraordinary. I've had several conversations with people that said they won't believe in God until they see a sign. What if the sign they're waiting for came about from us, telling Jesus a need that we see, surrendering to whatever he wants, serving him in an ordinary way, and maybe he will do something supernatural with it. Hey, he's done it before. Jesus' first miracle was to bring a community together at a wedding feast and offer them the best tasting joy imaginable. I bet he had to get a little sentimental knowing that his last miracle would be to bring every community together for a wedding feast. I could just hear him saying, don't you see what I'm offering you? Come, taste and see and believe. You see, it's a double blessing. You get the joy and you get the belief. The last thing I'll say is this. His first miracle was on the third day at a wedding. Three years later, his most climactic miracle happened on another third day. After he was killed and buried in a tomb, Jesus rose from the dead on a third day where he put to death all the sin, all the shame, all the guilt and fear that separates you from his father. This is the new thing that Jesus came to do. This is the new thing that Jesus is offering you. Come. Taste and see. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. We hope you found something in this week's message to take away and apply to your life this week. Uh, if you live in the Bay Area, we would love to have you join us for one of our weekend services. Uh, for directions or information about what we have for you or your family, your students, you can go to blueoaks.church or download the app today. 
Uh, and we hope to see you on Sunday soon.